If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for the Hoarding Awareness Workshop. And my name is Tammy Moses. I am the founder of Homes of for Living LLC, DBA, The Hoarding Solution. And I'm really happy to be here talking to you today about this daunting issue. And I realize some people wonder why in the world we need to talk about this issue. And I can just tell you that there are a lot of people impacted by this and there's a lot of need for us to have a good understanding of what we're talking about and dealing with, but also look at ways to resolve this in a better way, as well as talk about the people who are impacted by this. And there are a lot of us. And I'd like to mention that this week is Hoarding Awareness Week in the UK. And that is something that they have created. And I would love to see that become also something that we do on a regular basis in the U.S. And so I'm very grateful that they're leading the way on helping government and other entities understand uh, what hoarding actually is. So welcome. Thank you for being here. And uh, our company, The Hoarding Solution, is hosting this workshop today. So I'm going to take a moment here and just take a sip to honor the evolution of the agency that has been created um, because it's been a long journey. So in the USA alone, there are approximately 19 million people that have a hoarding issue. That's an estimate. It's a conservative estimate by many professional perspectives because hoarding is largely underreported by the person that has the issue. It's also often underreported because the people who know about it don't know what to say, or there may be people who don't even recognize recognize that there's a problem. They may not even know that their loved one or that their tenant or their church member has a hoarding issue. It, people who have this problem have a lot of shame and guilt and there's a lot of isolation and hiding in hoarding. And so people find ways to hide the fact that they have a hoarding issue or that the people living in the home find ways to hoard or to hide the fact that they live in a hoarding situation. And within hoarding, there's something called clutter blindness, meaning the person with the hoarding issue cannot see the clutter and they do not see the problem in the same way as other people do who do not have the hoarding tendencies or do not have the collecting tendencies. And so there's a huge need for us to be bringing this issue to the forefront and talking about it. And there's two things that I wanna make sure people understand. And one is that most of us have clutter of some kind somewhere. It may not always be visible and it may not be taking over our entire house, but most people have a closet, a drawer, a basement, a room, um, the junk drawer in the kitchen, 
most of us have some level of clutter somewhere in our lives. And so I think it helps people to know that all of us are on this clutter journey. And that is not quite the same as hoarding, however, where hoarding takes over your entire space and you cannot function in it. Like your shower is full of newspapers, your stove is covered with everything, at like takeout containers and tin cans and um, things that need to be taken out to, um, and discarded. Um, you may not be able to walk through the house because of the piles of things. There is avalanche risk um, where the piles of stuff will slide. So there are a lot of issues going on in hoarding around the stuff. But the other part of that is the mental health component of a hoarding situation. And in general, the stuff is a symptom of underlying issues that are going on. I have found through my own work and observation and conversations that a lot of times the underlying mental health issues are not addressed and the hoarding is a manifestation of the issues that are not being addressed. And hoarding often can be dormant and then an event can occur and it can trigger uh, something in a person that hoarding becomes their protective measure. For example, someone might uh, be married and they may lose a spouse and hoarding was maybe always kind of a dormant thing. Uh, maybe they had clutter tendencies, but it wasn't extreme. And then all of a sudden their trauma, their loss flips them into a hoarding situation. And now all of a sudden they're collecting every napkin from the funeral service. They will depart with any of the clothes of their loved one. In fact, they'll buy maybe more clothes um, for themselves and use that as their coping mechanism sometimes. And it, other things can trigger it as well. Um, people can have some sort of traumatic brain injury. Sometimes people will have a stroke or people will go into dementia and that can increase the behaviors that maybe were dormant or non-existent for a long time, but then something occurs that causes that hoarding behavior to appear. And in general, a lot of people that I've spoken with over the years have had some kind of personal trauma very young, and it doesn't get addressed necessarily, more trauma occurs. And by the time they reach adulthood, they've collected so much trauma that their coping mechanism is hoarding. It is stuff, it is piling it on the bed. It is keeping things that most of us would not keep. It is keeping other people at bay because people have hurt them. And the more stuff you have, the less people will be able to access you. The less pain people can cause you if you have stuff. And I look at it as it's like a blanket, a protective blanket that or a scab, if you rip it away quickly, it causes them a lot more pain. That is not to say there are not times when you are, are forced to make a move that will cause more harm in the moment, possibly, but longer term, you're looking at their overall health and well being. And often, a person that hoards does not. They might recognize they have an issue, but they can't recognize why other people are so concerned about their situation. And I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But um, in general, 
I would say you want to have a conversation with that person. You want to try to keep communication open if you can. If you are a person or family member that is no contact and someone reaches out to you to help the person that hoards, I believe it's necessary for us to help people understand why we may have been no or low contact um, and or the fact that our loved one may have disowned us because we tried to intervene at some point. And it's very important for providers to take a step back when they reach out to people, especially the adult kids or the family members, because there's a lot of history there in general that a practitioner probably isn't aware of yet. And so I think it's that moment, an educational moment where we can share with someone, you know, kind of get an idea if they know what hoarding is and if they don't kind of key them into what's going on. And I think it's just really important for us to be having this conversation and talking about it more and asking questions earlier and get to a point where we're mitigating instead of crisis management um, constantly. We need to have a better balance between that. So I am going to talk about the peripheral people that hoarding impacts. And there are a lot of us um, out there in the world that come across these hoarding situations. And if you've lived it, you, it can be a trigger to see it. If you haven't lived it, but you're aware of the issue, it, you might have an idea of what you're coming across. If your only experience has been a show and watching it, um, while there is a lot of valid pieces of those things, the trauma is real, the drama is real, the pain is real, um, the indecisiveness, um, trying to get people to solve the issue when they're not really aware that they have an issue. All those things are really real and true. There are huge gaps though in the awareness of how many other people this hoarding behavior impacts. And I personally grew up in a hoarded situation and it was a very isolating experience. Uh, it's difficult to grow up thinking that you have less value than all the stuff that's laying about. And I have coined two hashtags for this. And one is hashtag AKOPTH, which is for adult kids of parents that hoard. And the other is hashtag YLITH, which is for youth living in the hoard. And a lot of my perspective does come from that lived experience as both an adult now dealing with parents that hoard um, and working through that with them with a greater level of success than I really thought possible. And the other piece is growing up as a youth in that situation and figuring out ways to get away from there, uh, ways to stay away, um, places to take a shower. Um, I was in the swimming class. That was my PE in high school. And that allowed me to have access to a shower um, frequently. Um, I also spent a lot of time at my grandma's and she had all the amenities that we did not have, such as running water and carpet on the floor. And so I found ways to navigate that. And at the time, I didn't really realize that I was um, not alone in living it this way and that I was um, finding ways to survive my situation without even really recognizing that that's what I was doing. 
for example, I was able to wash my laundry at my grandma's and I would hurry and wash my laundry while we had Sunday dinner. And then I'd have laundry, fresh laundry for the week. So it was little things like that, that I realized much later when I started to talk about hoarding issues publicly, because for a long time I didn't, um, I started to realize how many survival mechanisms I put in place and that there were people living in that situation right now. And for example, right now, this past year, most of us have been at home way more than normal. And if you're a kid living in a horde, the last thing you wanna do is get on a Zoom call and show your space. So um, I believe this past year has highlighted the fact that our social beingness is really impacted when we are forced to isolate. And a lot of kids used church and school and after youth, after school things and different activities to escape a hoarded situation and have some degree of normalcy. And so I think we have to look at the emotional impact of hoarding on kids who are forced to live in it and you really don't have control. And if you do try to clean or move things around that causes a big upset in the household. So you just kind of learn to navigate around it. And you don't necessarily learn the skills that you need to survive or maintain your home in that situation. So that's just an example of a couple of the peripheral people. You also have spouses living there. You have, you might have grandkids living in a hoarded home. And not only that, family members, you have church members, you have neighbors that are impacted, first responders, when they access a space, um, you have real estate folks, whether you're property management and you come across a horn in an apartment that you have to deal with, or maybe you're a real estate agent trying to list a home and you list it and you do a showing and someone looks across the street and goes, what is this mess? And so hoarding impacts your property values and your sales activities. Um, you have a lot of home service providers that go into these situations, um, possibly unaware of what they're walking into, such as plumbing, electrician, HVAC. Um, you might have refrigerator repair. And sometimes these people are accessing a hoarded space um, out of necessity. Uh, maybe a fridge hasn't worked for years. Maybe the power is out. Maybe a toilet overflowed in a condo. Um, and for some reason, these home service providers are being tasked with coming into these spaces. And you also have attorneys that are impacted, maybe elder law who are trying to help an older person navigate or a family member help an older person navigate through some kind of legal situation. And so there's just a broad array of industries that are impacted. And I'm also going to include home health. A lot of times people want to age in place, which is great and ideal. And I understand that. Um, but if you have a hoarding situation that's very severe, aging in place might be very difficult or it might become impossible. And a lot of times you may have home health folks coming in to help someone do like activities of daily living, cooking, cleaning, bathing. And that home health person gets there and says, I can't do any of the jobs I need to do without causing upset or I can't access the stove or the shower is full of clothes and papers and the cat litter box and I'm not allowed to move it. So there's a lot of issues that can come up for people who are in a role where they're supposed to be assisting and instead they're encountering a horde, very resistant person who doesn't want help. 
um, doesn't like them for a variety of reasons, doesn't want anyone in their space, um, and yet they can be falling down, mobility issues, things on the floor. It could be rodents, it could be uh, bed bugs, it could be other infestations, uh, for bats in the ceiling. Um, and so you have a lot of issues going on in some of these situations. And another aspect is people that are like trying to sell the home. And sometimes people who inherit a hoarded house want to just sell it as is because it's a lot of time and money and emotional difficulty. At, like if it's your childhood home for you to be going through this stuff. And so an important piece of that though, is you often don't know what level of repairs need to be done in a home or a condo or an apartment until all the stuff is cleared away. And you have to look at is, will there be new walls, new drywall? Do we need to pull up the carpet? I had, I personally was involved in a situation where there was a flooded basement. It had carpet on the floor. The tenant did not tell the landlord. So um, when boxes were moved, they were up from the, the rug. And so there was a lot of damage done uh, because the damage, the leaking wasn't reported, the landlord didn't know, no repairs could be made, and there was just this snowball of things that occurred. And then again, there you have the landlord or the property owner who is impacted by this hoarding situation. And I encourage people to um, pursue inspections on your rentals um, so that your assets can be protected and you can also help a person potentially um, with an issue that may or may not be really negatively impacting their relationships and, and of course your property. So there are just a plethora of people that see this, come across it. And the basic thing is treat the person as a person and no matter how horrifying you might find the situation, if you can really focus on the fact that this is a human being in this place and come at it from that perspective and find that modicum of kindness in your heart to speak to them um, like they matter because they do, um, then you are going to have at least a shot at having a conversation about your concerns. And I recommend starting with the safety piece of it, particularly if it's around mobility. So there are some different methods that people employ uh, regarding hoarding situations. And one is called safety day where your, your intent of the day when you're working with that person, or it may be several days, but the intent is to make that space safe for them. And one way to do that is to declare that there will be a need for a 36 inch path, which is what is required by first responders to be able to get a gurney into a space. Um, you can also start with a 36 inch high, no piles will be higher than 36 inches, three feet um, that decreases avalanche risk and it allows you to see over things. And it can also, um, bring the fire hazard piece down a little bit if it's not up there touching the ceiling. If you can actually see over some of the, the things that are there, you might see the electrical wire that's plugged into a faulty outlet. You might see 
the fact that the heating vent is blocked, you know, as you're moving these things around. And if you can create safety in that space, sometimes that is the place to start. And sometimes that is sufficient unless you're dealing with some kind of infestation, a safety day then becomes kind of pointless in a way because you really need to deal with the underlying issues and infestation. So um, there, but safety day is a way to go, especially if it's maybe not that severe or the person is at least willing to let you do something at that level. Um, a lot of times people aren't worried about their own safety. They don't care about their safety in their space, but we should care about the fact that first responders are going into this space. And if we could make it a little more safe for them, that is also ideal. Another aspect that often happens, and a lot of times this happens because we haven't addressed the problem. We see the hoarding and we don't say anything. We don't know what to say. Uh, we don't know who to talk to. We don't know who to tell. Should we tell what? And so forced cleanouts happen quite frequently because the hoarding gets very severe and we don't mitigate it earlier. And so then a clean out happens, either someone's getting evicted um, and so their stuff is, is going to be removed or someone might have a medical crisis, they go in for surgery or maybe even just an ER visit for some kind of situation and now they're going home and they can't go home because now they're maybe using a walker or a scooter or a wheelchair, or even if they're using a crutch, like going into your hoarded space can cause you to um, just have additional issues come up. And so sometimes cleanouts occur because it's the only way for that person to go home. And other times a forced cleanout happens and they can't go home due to the medical issues. And the forced cleanouts are very difficult for the person that hoards. Uh, it can be very traumatizing if you're not involved with it, if you're afraid that people are going to take things of, of yours. Um, and so it can be really challenging to deal with that. And if you have a parent who has medical issues and they have hoarding, and now your parents in the hospital, and now you're looking at what do I do? How do I help my parent? Um, with their medical crisis, but now what do I do with the house or the apartment or the residence? And frankly, there's a lot of societal pressure for the kid to do something for their aging parent. And uh, to a degree, I understand and believe that we do have some sort of obligation, but on the other hand, we didn't create the hoarding situation. Most of us aren't qualified to deal with the mental health underlying issues. And so people call on us to fix this hoarding problem that we didn't create and aren't qualified to fix. And if you throw on the fact that we're a family member that might've grown up in it, and there is our own trauma that we've tried to heal, um, it's very likely if someone's no contact or low contact, there's a reason for that. And in large part, it's because we had to learn how to save our own lives we had to learn to reparent ourselves because the stuff was more important than our emotional well-being um, growing up. And so if you grew up in it, your response is probably a little different than if your parent starts hoarding at a later point, you didn't live with it, um, and you see can take a step. I advise anyone to be able to do this 
if you're going to step into this to step, take a step back and look at it more from a holistic perspective of the whole situation. And but like for me, I know both of my parents kind of their backstories on one side, I kind of see where the hoarding came from. On the other side, I don't really get it, but I do see some reasons why it was happening. Um, so if you know the origin story, I think sometimes it makes it better, but sometimes it makes it harder um, to deal with it. And so you have to look at how are you approaching this? And the other point is that so many times we are diving into resolving this situation when it's in a crisis mode already. And like, I'll see a story on the news and someone will say, oh, you know, 57 dogs were rescued from this situation. And my first thought is this didn't just happen yesterday. Like this has been going on for a while. Um, someone probably noticed, someone maybe said something. Um, so somewhere along the way, there have been touch points where this was happening and we didn't say or do anything like there, we allow people to live how they want, which is how it's supposed to be. But on the other hand, at what point do you say this behavior is harming not only you, but it's also harming your family and your animals and your property value. And by the way, maybe you should, consider uh, addressing some of the underlying issues that is that is causing you to hoard and is causing enormous amount of pain and trauma and isolation for you and your family and at some point there needs to be a conversation that says hey we see this issue and we we would like to help you we're not sure exactly how but let's try to start having a conversation to see what we can do before this gets to a point that your house burns down because you have so much stuff everywhere. And by the way, if you have a lot of stuff in your house, it changes how a fire burns. It burns hotter and faster. And that is much more dangerous for firefighters to try to intervene and stop the fire. Sometimes it's called surround and ground, which means they're not going in because they aren't going to die due to smoke inhalation or their ability to leave that building. It changes how they approach the fire. And I think it's an important piece of the conversation for people to understand how this behavior impacts our first responders. There can be a lot of domestic violence in these situations as well. And so the police are often called in and there is an enormous need for us to be talking about this, coming up with plans, using the safety inspection sheets, doing things that mitigate the problems for the people that hoard and the family members as well as the people that are attempting to intervene. Sometimes different religious groups will get involved. They are, or nonprofits, they want to come and help. They might be replacing a floor or something like that. They get to the space and then they see that they can't even see the floor because this, there's too much stuff. And so there's this desire to help, 
in a lot of us, but there's also a lack of understanding on the fact that a forced clean out or uh, showing up and saying, we're just going to throw it all away today is ineffective and not the way to approach it. And that's what I have seen and talked with so many people who have someone come into their home and say, we're just going to throw it all away. Don't you worry about it. You sit down and relax. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work well that way, I should say. So anyhow, crisis mode is a really bad time to be looking at another crisis. Yet that's how a lot of this is treated. And a lot of this is not, um, we aren't handling it very well and we need to do better. So I do believe that we need earlier intervention and that means we need to be asking questions earlier in all our processes. It means we need to be addressing what hoarding looks like when you're renting out a property. It means we need to ask questions when someone's going into the hospital for a procedure versus just when they're discharging. Like what's the condition of your home? <clears throat> Will you be able to return home after this surgery? Are you able to navigate your space? Um, will someone be staying with you while you recover from this? Um, do you have stairs? What's your access? Like there's all these questions we could be asking. And someone I did not mention is the peripheral people is mental health providers. And we could be screening much earlier in that situation as well for hoarding issues because people can be in therapy or in treatment or however you want to term it or counseling and never reveal the hoarding issue. And there's all kinds of family problems and all the things they bring to that session, but they aren't revealing what the actual problem is and why um, their family is so annoyed with them, that type of thing. So there's that piece too, where, but in general, as we're screening for medical services, mental health, dental, any of that, we could be having these conversations and determining whether or not this person is struggling right now. And that earlier intervention conversation might allow people to not be evicted from their apartment and become homeless. It might allow them to age in place as they desire if we can discuss how that's actually possible and provide ways to help them deal with it. There are junk removal companies, there are professional organizers, there are coaches like what I do. Um, there are people who are invested in resolving this issue. And it's just a matter of pulling some of those resources together to provide mitigation services to deal with it before it reaches a crisis mode. Or once it, if, and often this is what happens, it is at crisis mode and now you have an opportunity to resolve it and then you go into mitigation so that it does not come back in full force. You find someone who's willing to come in and clean that place once a week. You find someone who will come in monthly and say, okay, we need to organize a different area every month just or downsize it and be having very frank, honest conversations with the people and Often I have found people don't understand the level at which they're putting themselves at risk, for example, for eviction. If you are in a situation and you have an inspection and you don't pass it, 
you need to find out what you need to do so you can pass it. And you need to keep it that way as much as possible between all the time. That way you don't have to freak out and move all your stuff to your friend's house or rent a storage unit when that inspection time comes. Clearly, if that is always your response when there is an inspection, there is an issue that needs to be addressed. And if you choose to not address it, you might be facing very negative consequences for not addressing your issue. And on that note also, if you are an inspector that sees this situation, don't wait till the next year to start talking about ways to start solving the problem. I was involved in a situation where a person was a, a good tenant in that they paid their rent every month on time, but for three years in a row, they failed their inspection. And so clearly there was an issue and it was not being addressed. And so by the third round, which is about the time I got involved, um, they were facing eviction because of their clutter, because of their hoarding, filling up their tiny little apartment and spilling out into the walkway, which was making it difficult for people to get by in their wheelchairs. And so they were impacting the quality of life in that apartment complex for everyone. And so if you have a complex, uh, whether you have one house that's impacting your property on the street, whether you have one apartment and 30 apartments that has a problem, you're impacting the quality of life of everybody in that building by not addressing the hoarding issue. And in some bigger areas, there are rodent infestations in the entire complex because of the hoarding that's going on in there. That is extremely unhealthy and horrifying to think about how many innocent people who are impacted by this and have no recourse and no one is really listening to what the actual problem is. And that's why we don't have better solutions is because we aren't talking about them in a way that is bringing solutions. So some strategies that I have seen work are doing very simple things like I have keep, donate, discard as my three main categories when I'm helping someone figure out how to sort through their stuff. <clears throat> you need to talk to this person like they matter and talk to them like they're a human and be on point with the fact that we all have clutter. A lot of people struggle with mental health, whether we disclose it or not. Um, so there is this commonality that we all have as humans. And I think it's very valuable for someone who has a severe hoarding issue to be aware that many people have some degree of clutter, but it isn't impeding their life as badly as this situation. And I think normalizing clutter a little bit is one way to reduce the shame that someone feels about having massive amounts of clutter. So some strategies also that I have found work um, are ask questions of that person, ask them, you know, their cat's name, ask, you know, ask them, you know, the origin of this scarf that they received, um, you know, ask, you know, where did you get, I see you got this purse, you know, when you visited this place, you know, who was with you on that trip? And here's what I found. If you're working with someone in a coaching capacity to help them declutter their space, they need to tell their story, which means guess what we need to do? We need to shut up and listen. 
And oftentimes as a person, that can be hard to do. But what I have found is that as people tell their story about their multiple purses or about all the cars on the on the lot on their property in their garage or whatever it is people talk through their story and that allows them to release the items and that can be very time consuming and it takes a lot of patience but it's very possible for you to talk with someone and help them go from 100 purses down to 50 purses and just you set up you know keep donate discard you have three boxes or bins or whatever and you just sort items into that and there's more subcategories that are helpful depending on the situation, but keeping it very simple in the beginning sorting is really helpful. Um, having shorter sessions, two hours maybe is all someone can tolerate due to the emotional attachment to those things. Um, other strategies can be virtual um, check-in and accountability <clears throat> where you're just working with that person on a virtual basis because maybe they're across the country but you have a check-in and you have assignments in between there that they're working on um, provided they physically can do that or that they have the local assistance to do that. Um, also working alongside my, my mom has proven to be very successful. And the way that has worked is we talk about the different areas that need to get addressed and then we discuss how we're going to do that. And then I am just very gentle on, hey, okay, I get that maybe we don't have time to um, sort everything in here, but let's bag it and move it to a spot so that you can. While that is not ideal, sometimes that's how you get the agreement to get some kind of forward movement. And we have been able to haul things to the dump. We have been able to sort scrap metal and move some things around on the property. Now, granted, at this point, it isn't the actual house that we're dealing with, but the fact that there's forward momentum is amazing. And if you have ever dealt with a hoarding situation and you get some degree of traction, you know what I'm talking about. You find ways to move it forward. And it didn't take you know, it didn't happen overnight, it's not going to get fixed overnight. And if you can go into these knowing that and having appropriate timelines, um, if you tell someone to clear out a hoard in 30 days, that's probably not an appropriate timeline. But should you have a checkpoint every two weeks? Absolutely. Should you maybe give it a 90 day cleanup period? Yes. Um, so we need to recognize that if you think it's going to take two, and you're in a situation where there is no hoarding, it's probably going to take four. If you think it's going to take one week, it might take two. And that's because you have to look at <clears throat> the human element, the human element, the heart, the trauma, the attachment, the emotional pieces that are going on in these situations. And if you are trying to come into this and not look at the whole picture, the human, the heart, the struggle, the pain, the trauma, this isn't the job for you. You need to look at this from a very different perspective than it's just a bunch of stuff that needs to get thrown out because that is what increases isolation and continues to cause people a lot of pain. Personal perspective, I suppose, but I've seen what's works and what doesn't. And if you go in yelling and calling their stuff trash and 
it's not going to work. So you've got to find a way to be compassionate, kind. And that goes when you're dealing with the family members, when you're dealing with anybody that's in this situation, trying to address it even, you need to remember that they're all people and all humans. And there are times when the law of the land or the way we've always done it isn't the way we should keep doing it. So I would like to say also that there are resources out there for people specifically <clears throat> around hoarding issues. And I will say that there it is limited and it is scattered, but it does exist. And there is, um, the Mayo Clinic has a great breakdown of what hoarding is. Um, they talk about the diagnosis. They talk about the symptoms specifically about hoarding disorder. Not everyone who hoards will fit that criteria. I'm not qualified to make that decision, but I am qualified as a human being <clears throat> to talk to another human being in a civilized manner. And I find that the anger and pain is what causes people to stop acting like the people they're talking with that have a hoarding issue are human. And that's something we need to knock off. We need to talk to them like they're people. <clears throat> anyway, um, so that is a great resource, the Mayo Clinic. And I have a podcast, the Hoarding Solution Podcast. And I also have the Hoarding Solution Agency. We offer consultations a forthcoming membership site and I have a free group called the Hoarding Solution Community, which anyone is welcome to join that is struggling with hoarding issues or dealing with them. And I do mean anyone, the person that hoards, the peripheral people, first responders, anyone who is coming across these situations and is trying to figure out what to do. Um, that is what this group is for. And just know that I do share pictures. I'm very honest and forthright. And there is no coddling, I would say, of it, um, although I do re expect respect in the group. Um, there are some additional podcasts, and there is uh, Coming Clean With Me on Instagram, uh, someone to follow, and if you are looking for some of these resources, feel free to email, email me at thehoardingsolution at gmail.com. And I can also get you that some of these resources and links to them. Um, there is uh, NAPO uh, there where you can look for an organizer that specializes in hoarding issues. Um, you can also reach out to me if you're looking for a resource in a specific area, because I do know some folks in different areas that do this work and are very heart centered and aligned. And those are the, people I'm looking for as far as referrals and creating a network where we know that in a certain area, there are people who can do this work with heart. And that's what we need, heart and awareness. And so I'll just kind of wrap it up here. Today, we talked about kind of what hoarding is, the peripheral people, some different methods the fact that we need earlier intervention and also some resources. So I really thank you for taking the time to listen to this and for um, participating in the conversation and discussion. And there's, I would say even more people today that I didn't even talk about that are impacted by hoarding. 
And I would like to also say that a lot of folks that hoard are highly educated, very brilliant in their careers. And there's a misconception about what hoarding actually is. And um, a lot of people struggle with mental health and trauma and hoarding is simply a manifestation of, of that. So thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to talking with you and seeing how we can work together on making improvements on this whole industry of hoarding. Thank you. Are you facing a hoarding situation all by yourself? What if you discovered that you are not alone when facing that hoarding situation? Are you interested in a more human approach to hoarding resolution? Then please join us in the Hoarding Solution Community. You can find us at The Hoarding Solution on both Facebook and Instagram. I look forward to connecting with you there and helping you through this. Please know you are not alone. If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution.